What's up, guys? We are going to do another episode of Walk on Wisdom, what we like to call Walk on Wisdom, where I take your guys' questions, sit here like we are just sitting across the table from each other, hanging out, maybe give you a little bit of wisdom. Uh, I by no means claim to be any a professional at anything um, or an expert at anything necessarily when it comes to life. Um, but in my 36 years on this planet, I have gained some experience. Um, my 22 years of competing at a high level in wrestling and now mixed martial arts and diet and training and fitness and being a father and a husband and a Christian man. Um, like I said, I by no means think I know it all. And I've made just as many mistakes as the next guy, uh, but have learned a lot of things. And if you guys want to send in your questions, send them into podcast at michaelchandler.com where we can take a little bit longer form, a little bit deeper dive into the questions that y'all have. So they aren't just short and to the point in one sentence. So we can go a little bit deeper. Let's go ahead and start. First question is from John Brown. Hey, Mike, hope to shed some light on this a bit. As a young father, what are some things that I can do and more people like me to be more of a man, a male figure? Basically, the things a father teaches a son, some of us don't have that experience in life and the number of teenage parents are increasing. I am a part of this category. But for my son, I want to be Superman. How do I do that? Well, I think it's very interesting that you ended this question with, for my son, I want to be Superman. How do I do that? Because therein lies the most important thing. You realizing that, unfortunately, no matter how great of a father you are or how horrible or of a father you could be or anywhere in between, your, your son will still look at you like Superman. He's going to think you hung the moon. You are his North star, you are his guiding light in every single aspect of his life. I see with my sons, uh, obviously I have a five-year-old, almost a six-year-old now and a seven-month-old right now. So obviously the seventh-month-old is a very, very young baby, but I see it in my five-year-old already. The way that I brush my teeth, the, even the way that I fix my hair, even though he's African-American and has a completely different hair than I do, the way that he walks, the way that he talks, the way that his voice inflection is, how he carries certain vowel, vowels, uh, the things that he wants to do, the way that he eats, the way that he cuts his food, these, these somewhat small trivial things, of course, they're different because he just does have his own unique DNA and, and he is created in God's image, but different than me. But truthfully, he wants to be just like me. And that's just how it's going to be. Your son will always look at you like Superman. So in that, realize that there is a very, very, very large responsibility. As you said, John, basically the things that a father teaches a son, some of us don't have that experience in life. I was very fortunate. I did have a father who was very present in the home. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Would he admit that? Absolutely. Do I admit that I'm not a perfect father? Absolutely. I fail every single day. And I think that's the one thing that they don't quite put enough emphasis on whenever they are telling you about how to become a great father or to prepare you for fatherhood is to prepare you for the father guilt. My wife and I talk about this all the time. You're going to feel like a failure every single day. You're going to put them to bed and you're going to think about ways that you could have been sweeter. You could have been more patient. You could have been more kind. You could have been a better role model, a better Superman, if you will. Um, so I think the biggest thing is continuing to show yourself grace. And the biggest thing going back to James Allen is that men are eager to change their circumstances, but they're unwilling 
and uneager to change themselves. There's going to be things that you can do to better yourself in between the opportunities that you have to make an impact on your son or your daughter. When you're with them in the moment, the work that you had already done on yourself the previous week, the previous month, those those reactions and responses of the way that you are handling certain things with your children are not in the moment. They are a direct reflection of how much work you have been doing on yourself or the lack thereof. So I think the biggest thing about becoming a great father or a great parent, if you will, just is the same thing about of being a great husband or spouse, being a great employee, being a great X, Y, Z, whatever you want to become great at, practice what you want to become. And just mull over, visualize, and think about the man that you want to become. Show yourself some grace. Realize you're not going to be perfect. And then try to become that which you want to be, not that which you are. Because I think we get caught in this endless cycle of, well, I am just this way. This is how I am. So therefore, my son or daughter needs to accept that. Therefore, my spouse needs to accept that. Therefore, my, my employer, my boss needs to accept that. And I don't think that is true. I think we can all get better because people can change and they can change dramatically. And it all starts with right here between the ears. If you want to become a better father, better spouse, better employee, better business owner, a better leader, you have to first believe that you deserve that. So my greatest my greatest, I think, wisdom that I can impart on you, John, is do the work necessary and the work that it takes to become the best John that you possibly can be, to become the best man that you possibly can be right here. Love yourself first, so then you can love your children, love your son. Because like I said, he's going to think you're Superman no matter what. He's going to think that you hung the moon no matter what. And it's up to you to do the work necessarily internally, intrinsically in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, in order to become the best man that you can be, to put your best foot forward, to then be a man that is deserving of emulation, a Superman that deserves to be admired and looked at. What are some things that you can do or people like you to be more of a man? Honesty integrity, a calm demeanor, patience, mastery of thyself. These things are all very, very hard. I by no means am an expert at them. I by no means accomplish these things every single day. Because trust me, when I put my sons to bed at night or my son to bed at night while my wife puts our youngest in bed, I will lay in bed and think about the ways that I wish I could have done better. But that also shows that I care. So take stock in, make a list of where can I become better? How can I, John, become better? Focus on that today, this week, and then before you know it, a month turns into six months, six months turns into a year, and the man that you want to become, you have now become, and now you're trying to find a higher rung of your existence because you're Superman no matter what. I think that's one of the greatest things about being a father is that people, people want to feel significant. They want to feel amazing. They want to feel greater than. They want to feel power. They want to feel passion. They want to feel as if people are looking at them and saying, that's the guy that I want to be. When really, you got little eyeballs at home 
that will do anything in the world to be like you. They will think that you hung the moon no matter what. So take pride in that. Be excited about that. Hope that helped, John. Next one from Joshua Rodriguez. Hey Chandler, what's the most important thing you learned after your last or after your loss against Dustin? And have you got a response from Conor McGregor? So we go straight from fatherhood, straight into mixed martial arts. So what was the most important thing you learned from my loss against Dustin Poirier? So uh, thanks for the question, Joshua. Yeah, UFC 282, Madison Square Garden, the world's most iconic arena, my last fight. The stakes were high, title implications on the line, possibly. Um, Dustin's the number two guy in the world. I think the biggest thing, once again, that I learned from this loss was probably a continued uh, result or a continued lesson. Every time that I've had a loss, human nature is to get down on yourself. Human nature is to say negative things or think negative things or look at yourself a little bit less than. Human nature is to preserve the little bit of pride and ego that you have by by falling into self-deprecating thoughts and negativity. And I have learned to try to challenge and combat those things with extreme optimism and positivity that everything is going to work out. Um, I've lost numerous times in my career. Nobody is undefeated in this sport. Virtually nobody is undefeated in the sport of mixed martial arts, especially when you're competing at the highest level in the UFC against the top guys in the world. Um, So at some point, as long as I trained extremely hard, did every single thing that I knew I needed to do, prepared perfectly, left no stone unturned in my preparation, I had to let the result become what the result was going to be. And then that night, on that night, Dustin Poirier was better than me. On that night, he bested me. On that night, I took another loss and um, took some physical wounds, obviously. Got beat up a little bit. Um, But my heart is full and my future is bright. Um, So just continuing to give yourself permission to still love yourself and take stock in the, the... the gratitude lists, the things that you are grateful for in your life and focus on those things so that the loss or the failure or the setback doesn't overcome you. And speaking of the future, have I gotten a response from Conor McGregor? Uh, no response thus far. Obviously people are talking about that fight. That is a fight that um, the US, UFC has expressed interest in. I think Conor is interested in it uh, based upon his responses in the, in the past. Uh, I think there's no doubt that me and Conor will step into the octagon together eventually. I don't know if it's next, uh, but it would definitely will be in the future. All right, moving on. Excuse me, guys. All right, from Parker Locascio. Cool name, Parker Locascio. Hi, Mike. My name is Parker. I've had the opportunity to meet you before at a meet and greet and must give you your props. You're a very down-to-earth and real human being, and I, I, among others, can find you to be relatable. I'm a young man, 21 years old, and I am continuing to learn and navigate this this changing world day by day. I get the sense that you must be a very prideful individual as experiences, hard work, and upbringing have built you up and instilled pride in you. After all, being a walk-on to a Division I athletics program is a daunting task to fight through and not only overcome but excel. My question is, how do you not let that pride get into your head and perhaps feed into your ego? I feel you do a great job being humble while still being a prideful man that values with values to stand on. I'm curious you if you even have an answer to this question. Have a great day. See you at the top. 
Well, thank you, Parker. Uh, number one, thank you for the kind words. And number two, thank you for the great question. Cause I think it is very important. We get, you know, we talk about pride. We talk about ego. We talk about conceit. We talk about narcissism. We talk about egotism. Um, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that it, it is probably, especially for men, probably one of the hardest, most delicate dances that we can navigate in this life because there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with loving yourself, being extremely proud of yourself, stopping to smell the roses, look around, pat yourself on the back and say, I did this. I am proud of me. I love me. And if I can be honest with you guys, I didn't do that enough in my younger years. Now, it doesn't mean I do it a ton right now, like I'm sitting here and patting myself on the back and my ego or my narcissism or my unhealthy pride has grown, but my healthy pride in myself has grown exponentially. When I was younger, you know, take, take for instance, the sport of wrestling. I'd win a wrestling match. I'd beat a guy I wasn't supposed to beat. I would make the starting lineup. I was a walk-on as, as Parker said, I was a walk-on, meaning I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. Nobody gave me a chance to even make it at Mizzou for five years, let alone make the team, let alone become an All-American. So my view of myself started out very, very low. So everything that I started to accomplish, whether it be winning a, you know, a, a simulation fake match in the wrestling room, taking a guy down that was a state champion who was a number one recruit, who was on a full scholarship and I was paying for school fully. Um, these little victories, they were compounding on themselves, but I wasn't taking the time to, to stop and smell the roses and say, Michael, okay, your hard work is paying off. You're the first one there. You're the last one to leave. You're the guy who shows up. You're the guy who does things right in the practice room, in the classroom. Um, you're the guy that the coaches look at and say, that guy's got a future if he continues to work this hard. He's got a decent amount of talent. He's, he's just not there yet. I was winning these little battles, but I wasn't stopping to smell the roses. I wasn't stopping to say, Michael, you should be proud of yourself. Coaches would say, hey, Chandler, proud of you, man. You're, do, you're doing better at this. You're getting better at that. And I'd say, okay, yeah, that, whatever. I just keep on going. Training partners would say, dang, dude, you know, you're doing well. I saw you took that guy, saw you take that guy down. I saw you take him into overtime. I saw you over there at that, that open tournament uh, in the finals. You weren't supposed to be there, man. Good job, man. Congratulations. Be proud of yourself. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, in my mind, it doesn't matter. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. So it was almost a self-deprecating I, I should have done this, not, I should be proud of myself for accomplishing this. And I think there's a fine line between a healthy pride in yourself while also being grateful for the opportunities that you have while also continuing to stay hungry. I think one thing people ask me this all the time, how do you stay so hungry? How do you stay so motivated? How do you, how do you stay so disciplined to do things right? And for me, it's actually never been that hard. A lot of it has to do with upbringing. I'm the father or I'm the son of a son of a carpenter and son of a, a blue collar mom, a blue collar dad grew up in Min, Missouri, a small town outside of St. Louis. Um, so it, hard work and doing things right were instilled in me. So when I got outside of those county lines and went to a big college such as Mizzou and then went started going around the country to, to wrestle in these different uh, tournaments and whatnot, um, somewhat felt foreign um, for me to be out there and I was learning how to navigate it for the first time. When I was having success, 
as I said, I wasn't giving myself the permission to pat myself on the back. So Parker, the biggest thing that I would say to you, no matter where you started from, whether you are a uh, over eager, overzealous, over prideful type of person, or you are a lowlier than thou, see yourself as lower than dirt and look in the mirror and don't see someone successful or someone in between, no matter what, you have to work on winning the battle between your ears, surrounding yourself with the people that you want to emulate, people that you want to become eventually. And if you can't get in the same room with them, can't get in their phone, texting them and calling them and becoming friends with them and relationships with them, make sure you're on, as you are today, on the internet right now, ingesting things of people who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, been through the setbacks, been through a path that seems somewhat similar to yours that will well up something inside of you that says, okay, I'm not who I am. I'm not who I want to be today. But if he fell flat on his face and he kept going and he has become who he, he is or she is, then I can too. And how do you stay built up and not let your sense of pride and ego overcome you and and cloud your judgment in order to get to your next milestone or your or your your next rung of success it goes back to what i said earlier and that's gratitude realizing that success no matter how crazy big or how crazy small how big the victory is or how small the victory is, success is never owned. It's only rented and it can be taken away from you every single day at the drop of a hat. Every single thing that I have or have accomplished can be taken away today. So I need to be grateful for those things. Grateful, grateful, not just that I have them currently, but that I can cultivate them and grow them and they can make an even bigger impact and a bigger platform. So thank you for the question, Parker. I appreciate it. Moving on, grab another drink. From Almighty Phonics, what was the decision to transfer from wrestling to MMA like? Growing up as a wrestler your whole life, I'd imagine that MMA was never even a thought that came to your mind. When you made the transition to MMA, was there ever thoughts of not going through with it and just going back to college and getting a job with your degree or anything any of anything of that nature? It seems like something that can be a very difficult decision, and I'm very curious about it. Big fan. Thanks for all the entertainment you've given us. Almighty Phonics, good question. So... Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I look back at how I got into the sport of mixed martial arts and I do feel very fortunate and very lucky. I think so many guys or gals, I mean, obviously right now we're filming this in 2022. It's almost 2023. By the time some people are seeing this, it'll be 2023. How the sport of mixed martial arts has grown and how it has turned into a legitimate, legitimate profession, um, is pretty mind blowing. You know, when I started the sport 14 years ago, uh, there was still a a nice path to going to one of these organizations. Strike Force, Strike Force was still around. Um, Bellator, obviously, where I started my career. The UFC was taking off. UFC was on Spike TV or Fuel TV, or uh, you know, the Ultimate Fighter was continuing to to grow and blossom. So it was becoming more and more mainstream, but it was still somewhat of a fringe sport. Now it's so much of a mainstream sport. You can't turn on ESPN right now without seeing some kind of banner, some kind of ad, some kind of fight promotion, some kind of highlight, some kind of story that is breaking right now about the sport of mixed martial arts. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, but when I started, when I started in the sport, I had two guys that were like my big brothers that I wrestled with at the university of Missouri. 
A lot of you guys will know them if you are mixed martial arts fans. Tyron Woodley, uh, who was an All-American at Mizzou, was like a big brother to me. He was from St. Louis. He ended up going into mixed martial arts and becoming strike force champion and then also UFC champion at welterweight. Another guy who was like my big brother who I wrestled with at Mizzou was Ben Askren. Um, he was a champion in Bellator champion and won championships champion, uh, well, not champion, uh, but went over to the UFC as well. Both of those guys had great careers. Um, and like I said, they were like my big brothers. And if you are, I'm the oldest of three boys, so I didn't have uh, didn't have a lot of older guys to look up to, if you will. And I I knew I wanted to keep on competing. I know part of your question was, "Hey, did you ever think about going back to college or and continue or continuing to wrestle?" I didn't want to continue to wrestle at, um, to try to pursue the Olympics. I just didn't see a path for me. Those guys were just so much better. Jordan Burroughs and Jordan Lean and David Taylor and these Kyle Dake. These guys were these guys were head and shoulders above me when it came to wrestling. Now mixed martial arts, I thought, okay, well, I just got done with a five years of the hardest training possible. I can go into the sport of mixed martial arts and I don't think that these guys can hang with me. Do I know how to punch and and strike and grapple and and submissions and all of that kind of stuff? No, but I know I'm tough enough. I know I like to compete. I know within the confines of hand-to-hand combat, I I can do pretty darn good or do pretty darn well. Sorry about the uh pronunciation there, not pronunciation, the grammar. Um but it's uh I look back at it and I just think, man, I'm I'm so happy that those guys got into the sport because it gave me the opportunity to go right into it. I graduated in May of 2009, fought my first fight in August of 2009, and I haven't looked back since. Um, but there was never really a moment. I mean, I started off so well. I think I went 12 and 0 my first 12 fights with nine first round finishes. I became world champion in Bellator, beat Eddie Alvarez. So within two or three years of me getting into the sport, I was Bellator champion ranked top five in the world at at the time. So there never really was a, never really was a moment that I looked back and said, well, this isn't working out. I'm going to go back and use my degree. I did, I did graduate, um, from university of Missouri with, uh, with a degree, um, and never really thought about using it because wrestling or mixed martial arts is working out well, but the transition was pretty easy. Hand to hand combat, go out there, bite down on your mouthpiece and, and go compete. So. Thanks for the question, Almighty Fox. Okay, this one is from Anonymous. Um, what age did you start training mixed martial arts and what keeps you motivated in training camp and just training in general? One more thing. What advice do you have for a 17-year-old training MMA trying to become a UFC superstar? So I love this question and Anonymous. I love that you probably alluded to the fact that you are either seven, you are 17 or you know somebody who is 17. So the good thing is you are five years or this 17-year-old is five years ahead of where I actually started. I didn't start uh, competing in mixed martial arts or even training in mixed martial arts. I never, uh, never even knew how to throw a punch and kick a knee and elbow, any kind of striking techniques until I was 22 years old. Um, so I think I, I do get this question often, Hey, is 25 too or too, uh, too old to start mixed martial arts is 18 too old is 40 too old. You know, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not, here to give advice to anybody because I don't know what your personal gifts are, what your personal situation is, um, where you are mentally, physically, spiritually to be able to have a career in mixed martial arts. So it's a hard question to ask. But if you are 17 years old and you're training mixed martial arts, trying to become a UFC superstar, you have so many years ahead of you. The biggest thing is to think about being a UFC superstar 
when you're 30 years old, when you're 31, 32. I do think going back to my last que- my last answer to the question of of how the sport of mixed martial arts is so mainstream now, I think because it is so mainstream, guys want to get guys and gals want to get fast tracked. They want to be 17 years old and be in the UFC. Um actually currently as we are sitting here today um on this Monday after the fights at UFC 282 this past weekend, um, there's a young man named Rosa, um, I believe. Was it who's the 18 year old? You know his name? Uh, one. Yeah, he's 18 years old. Forget forget what his name is. Sorry, it's, it's like uh, Julian or something. Rosa, and awesome. It's awesome to see him there in the UFC at 18. The youngest guy in the sport of mixed martial arts to, to have competed and not just competed, but won his first fight in the UFC, which is great. Raul Rosa. Uh, Rosa. Yeah. Raul. Sorry. I thought, it, what did I say? How, uh, well, yeah. So Raul Rosa, great, huge props to him. Would I be able to compete in the UFC like he did with the demeanor that he had and the composure that he had at 18? I don't know. Um, but I think these guys are watching the sport of mixed martial arts at such a young age that if you can see it, you can emulate it and you can see it in yourself. And just by default, since they see it so much, they're starting to see themselves as a UFC superstar at such a young age. You look at so many guys who have gotten into the UFC and become big time stars at such a young age. The biggest thing is when you're young, your body is great, but your brain is mush. And then when you get old, your body is, your body is, or your, your brain is great, but your body is mush. So Todd Dirk and my coach always used to say, and somewhere in in that fine line between the two is where your prime really is. I look at myself and my career at 36 years old, my brain and my spirit and my mind is where it needs to be. And my body still feels great. I do think I've taken really great care of my body, but um, I think the sport of wrestling really helped that. I think my dedication to strength training and strength and conditioning um, has really helped that as well. Um, But what keeps me motivated in training, honestly, going back to gratitude, I feel so grateful for every single opportunity that I have. There's not a training camp that goes by now that I don't think, and I'm not grateful for every single day being 36 years old and still being at the top of my profession. Am I world champion? No. Am I number one in the world? No. Have I accomplished all of my dreams of becoming UFC champion, becoming number one in the world? No. Have I fallen short? Absolutely. But I'm very happy with my road thus far. I'm very happy with where I am in the sport. And at 36 years old, I really don't have a lot to complain about. I'm very, very thankful. So anonymous, if you're listening to this and you know that I'm speaking directly to you because I just read your question verbatim, make sure that if you're 17 or you're 70 or you're 27, life in general always goes back to gratitude being grateful for that which you do have, grateful for, grateful for those things that didn't happen to you, grateful for the doors that opened and even grateful for the doors that closed because if a bad thing happened to you but a good thing came from it, was it really a bad thing? And I've had so many of those times and seasons and, and trials in my life that I look back and say, God had me right in the palm of his hand the entire time. So um, it all goes back to thankfulness, gratitude, and don't just be grateful every now and then. Make sure you're grateful every single morning. When, those, when your toes hit the ground, thank God for another day and another opportunity. Dom Del Ano. <clears throat> Dear Mike, just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of yours and I hope, hope you keep killing it inside and outside of the octagon. You're truly a special individual, my friend. My question is, can you 
accurately go into detail what your raw emotions are like going into fight night. What is it like waiting for those last few hours, last few minutes, last few seconds in the back locker room up until you make the walk in the arena into the octagon? What's your mind? What's your mind while waiting? What's on your mind while waiting? Do you ever get nervous, anxious? Do you ever get a sense of fear? And and how well of a job do you do when it comes to handling, controlling your emotion, handling and controlling your emotions? I hope you can answer this question, Mike. God bless, and I'll see you at the top. Well, Dom Delano, um, what a great question because it really is something that I think people really want to know because those are those are moments and experiences that nobody else will ever get to see unless you're walking to and a mixed martial arts competition, walking to uh, a cage, an octagon, you know, and for me, I've had some really great stages, really big opportunities against some really great opponents. So um, it's always been high stakes. It's been bright lights. It's been a big platform. Um, I've spoken about this on the Lewis Howes podcast and it kind of went, it made its rounds around the internet because I really talked about talking to myself instead of listening to myself. I love the way God created us. I I do think that we can have mastery over our mind. I do think that in general, um, there is a compounding effect of thinking positive thoughts, speaking positive words, um, living in a positive way that will in turn make you live a more positive, uplifting, thinking positive things, looking for the positive um, confirmation bias in certain things, but human nature is that we are prone to wander. Human nature is that we want safety when we want security and we want protection. Therefore, we are always on guard for what bad can happen, what can go wrong here, who can do something wrong here, what bad can happen. So in order to combat that, especially when you're going into um, such a high stakes situation, like mixed martial arts competition, or even if it's you walking into a boardroom to give a presentation, you walking into your boss's office to ask for the raise that you know or think that you deserve, you walking into a business meeting that could be the handshake that changes your life, walking into these scenarios, number one, you have to see it in your mind's eye first and you have to visualize it. And number two, you have to talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. If I sit here quiet, I will hear negativity. If I'm standing there, hearing the, hearing the music, seeing the bright lights, feeling the energy of the crowd, if I just sit there and I'm just kind of moving and I'm being quiet, negativity is going to creep in. The little guy from the little town is going to creep in and say, you don't deserve to be here. The enemy, the inner me is going to say, hey, you know you, don't, you know you don't deserve this. Hey, how are you going to beat this guy? Turn around, you see him. I, I remember, uh, I remember my last fight. Actually, I was walking first. I was the blue corner. I was walking first. I was standing in the, standing in the hallway right before we we're about to walk out to Madison Square Garden, and they pull you both out at the same time. Dustin Poirier and his team were probably twenty yards behind me. Um, you know, he's clearing his throat. He's kind of screaming, um, not screaming, but kind of just a ha. Ah. You know, you, you kind of want to clear your throat. You want to clear your sinuses. You want to make loud noises. You want to kind of get your body. What you're getting ready to do is very, very, very physical, a very heightened sense of battle inside of a, of a octagon in front of millions of people. I remember him making a noise and I looked back and I was like, oh, there's Poirier, you know? So instinct could be, oh, dang, he's looking big. Oh man, he's looking sharp. Oh, he's moving. Oh, he's hitting, he's hitting, uh, he's hitting, 
hitting the hands of his coach and he's, oh, look at the footwork. Is he, oh, is he Southpaw or is he Orthodox? Wait, do you just go, is he, you know, you start, start overthinking these things whenever really what Dustin Poirier is doing back there, his stature ain't going to change. His size of him ain't going to change. Whether he's Orthodox or, or Southpaw isn't going to be indicative of whether or not he's actually going to fight Orthodox or Southpaw 15 minutes, six minutes from now, whenever we step inside the octagon and start competing in that belt that bell rings. So you can start thinking about all these different scenarios and you start thinking about all these different ways that you're trying to protect yourself by overthinking things when really you just need to be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Be present where your feet are. Talk to yourself. Michael, you deserve this. You worked extremely hard. You left no stone unturned in your preparation. God has a plan for your life, plans to prosper, plans to do great things. You do have an awesome platform. You do have a family that will love you no matter what. Win, lose, or draw. My God still loves me. My family still loves me. And I still love me. These are all the things that I'm talking to myself because while I'm continuing to talk to myself, no negativity can creep in. The negativity, the inner me, the enemy can't speak to me if I'm audibly speaking something, whether I'm actually moving my lips, whether I'm actually making a noise, or whether I'm just kicking on the constant volume and the constant, constant chatter inside my head, the positive chatter that I deserve this chatter. So, um, and then when you make the walk, then it's just kind of the same thing, speaking positive, beautiful things over your life, taking in the moment, going back to taking, patting yourself on the back, being proud of yourself for being right where you are, knowing that, that every, every single decision that you've made and every single up and down and open door and closed door has led you to this and an overwhelming sense of gratitude. There's no fear. There's no apprehensions. There's no, nothing holding me back. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of my sons. I'm proud of the life that I've built, the platform that I have. I'm proud to fight in the UFC. I'm proud to wear the UFC gloves. I'm proud to still continue to go out there and compete at my age and what I've been able to do and what I've been able to accomplish. And I think about those things often, all the time, every single day. So make sure, once again, going back to gratitude, speaking to yourself instead of listening to yourself, because you will most assuredly hear more positive things if you were speaking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Water break. All right, moving on. Greg Childs. You came across to me as an MMA fan, as extremely positive individual who encourages every person to improve who they are and who, and you come across as a caring and dedicated father to your children. What has motivated this positive mindset? Was there a turning point or have you always been this way? Well, shoot, Greg, thanks, man. Talk about a pat on the back. I appreciate you. Uh, Cause that really is what I want to be. You know, I think about just having such a great crowd of witnesses and think about how many people would love to trade places with me. Um, and that is not to sound, I don't know. I don't, I don't want that to sound narcissistic or, or whatnot. Like I have a perfect life. I have, I have struggles. I have, I have pain points in my life. I have things that I'm going through right now that you wouldn't want to trade me, <laughs> trade anything in the world for the things that I might have going on right now. Um, you know, so I think that's one way that we can really look at things is even if you see somebody and realize that they have everything that you might want. Maybe they got the girl that you want. Maybe they got the kids that you want. Maybe they got the, maybe for you, it's cars. Maybe for you, it's a nice house. Maybe it's the career. Maybe it's the platform, the celebrity, the TikTok followers, whatever it might be. Um, they've still got things that they're going through and everybody's hard is a little bit different. 
Um, but yes, I do try to be a, a positive individual who encourages other people because I do believe that I didn't have enough encouragement in my life leading up to this point. I didn't have enough people believing in me, really instilling in me that, Michael, you can do everything that you want to set out to accomplish. You can believe in yourself and you should believe in yourself because I believe in you. And it wasn't that I didn't have a lot of love around me. My parents loved me. My coaches in high school loved me. My coaches in college loved me. My training partners in, in college loved me. My friends loved me. Um, I just didn't have a, enough of that. And it wasn't until I really started taking stock and, okay, who am I spending the most amount of time with? Who am I, who can I look at, emulate, watch, listen to, and ingest what they're saying and really let it hit home to me. So if I can be a positive light to you and I can say one thing that makes you believe a little bit more in yourself and you, you start down that path one year, two year, five years before I did. So you might be able to hit your stride at 27 instead of 30, like I did, or 22 instead of 27, like I did. Then I'm doing my job with my platform because anybody who does, who has been blessed with a platform should use it for good. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Doesn't mean you're not going to have setbacks. Doesn't mean you're not going to have momentary lapses of judgment and wish you wouldn't have done something or said something. And, and, uh, but ultimately trying to do the best that you possibly can with the information that you have at your disposal at all times and be a positive light, be the change that you want to see in the world. Um, I come across as a caring and dedicated father to my children. What has motivated this positive mindset? Um, I can tell you this, being a father is the greatest thing on the entire planet. Being the father to these two boys is, is something so much more impactful than I ever thought it was going to be. You know, when my wife, Bree, told me that she had a heart for adoption um, ever since she was 14, 15 years old, you know, she told me when when we were in our mid to late 20s, whenever we met each other, um, obviously I, you know, I said, I'm, I'm open to it because, you know, I wanted to marry her. And I, at that point, I would have said anything to, to marry her because she was the girl of my dreams. And I was 100% set on the fact that I wanted to marry her. But then it really started to become real the idea of, of adoption and adopting, um, adopting our children. And, uh, since it has happened, it's been the most ridiculously surreal experience of my life because getting married is one thing and I would never downplay my love for, for Brie and, and being her husband and being her, her helpmate and her soulmate and her and serving her and loving her. But but having these two boys and making a promise to them to love and serve and protect and take care of and provide for them is absolutely breathtaking. And as I talked about earlier in this episode, they, they're going to think I'm Superman no matter what. So it's up to me to be the best Superman that I possibly can be. And what a beautiful gift that is. As I said, we go back to, especially as men, we want to feel respected. We want to feel powerful. We want to feel like we have a platform. We want to feel revered. We want to feel all these different things that somewhat seems a little bit egotistical. And, and I think it, it can very much go down the road of unhealthy egotism. But we want all these things. We want to be looked at like Superman in our crowds. We want to be looked at it like Superman in, in our, in front of our friends. We want to be looked at like Superman in our, in our businesses or in our, in our professions. But at home, you're Superman no matter what. Those boys think I'm Superman no matter what. 
So it's up to me to actually be the Superman that they deserve, to actually be patient, loving, kind. Patient. I said patient twice because I need some help with patience. The first, uh, the first step to getting better is realizing and admitting your flaws. I need to be more patient. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about loving and serving them. Um, so therein lies somewhat of the, the wisdom as well. I think instead of me thinking about my platform, my, my platform, my message, my impact that I can make, instead of thinking about it from a me, me, me perspective, I think about it from a you, you, you perspective. Very similar to why we want to do these, these actual questions and deep dives into these. I could sit here and talk about what I want to talk about about all day long, but we're taking these questions at random um, because I want to hopefully well something up inside of me and bring you guys value. So anybody who does want a platform, does want a, a, an impactful point of reference or, or perch to, to, to be on. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure you're making a, a meaningful impact with it. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the shout out and the pat on the back, Greg. I really appreciate it. This one is from Anonymous. Do you ever wonder what your life would have looked like if you hadn't pursued a career in MMA slash wrestling? Can you describe that? Man, I, I don't really wonder. You know, I'm really very much in the now. I'm really very much in the, uh, you know, living this life, living this dream, enjoying this process, enjoying this, uh, this journey that I've been on, you know, obviously if I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have become great friends with Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren, um, and followed in their footsteps and tried mixed martial arts. And maybe I tried mixed martial arts and I lost my first two fights or I just wasn't feeling it or whatnot. And I would have, uh, used my degree or I would have, I probably would have become a wrestling coach. You know, I think when you get done with the sport of wrestling, you're still in love with the sport of wrestling. You're still in love with the team camaraderie. You're still in love with the competition. You're still in love with the lifestyle of wake up, train, go to class, train. Obviously, I wouldn't go to class anymore because I wouldn't be in school anymore, but I would wake up, train with the team, coach guys, do individual training uh, with guys, and then train again. Um so I probably would have become a wrestling coach. And from there, who knows, I'd probably still be in Columbia, Missouri, or I would have at least started in Columbia, Missouri for sure, which would have been pretty great actually, because I probably would have hopefully still met my wife, Bree. Um, that's the one thing that I am so thankful for. You know, I could, I could give all of this mixed martial arts stuff off, stuff off of the up at a drop of a hat, but me not meeting her would have been, that would have been a rough life because she's amazing. Um, so Good question, but no, I don't ever think about that. And I think that's about uh, that's about it for today's episode. Um, I really appreciate you guys' questions. Um, as I said, send an email to podcast at michaelchandler.com. That's where we're taking more of these longer form questions. We first When we first started, it was... Uh, Instagram, hey guys, hit us with your questions and and Instagram doesn't give you much of a long form um, opportunity to, to give two, three, four, five, six sentences, two paragraphs or whatnot. Um, a little bit of a deeper dive into the deeper stuff. You know, I want to go deeper with you guys. I think, you know, hey, who's my next opponent and, um, you know, what's my nutrition like and these, these very base questions are great, but I want to go deeper with you guys. I really enjoy getting to know you guys, even if it's on my notes, uh, from my phone or on the email from my phone. Um, 
answering y'all's questions, bringing you value because that's why I was put on this earth. So I appreciate you guys. Be nice to someone today. Be the best man or woman that you possibly can be. Um, remember that you cannot consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. So build that mind, build that heart, build that soul. Walk on. I'll see you at the top.